It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover Howard. Hi, Patricia. Good evening, Bernice and guests and chatters. Good evening. Well, Patricia will monitor the chat room and summarize your comments. Well, welcome to the callers chatters, and members of the Haitian American Historical Society to research at the National Archives and beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through Blog Talk Radio. Well, the topic for tonight is Haiti and the Civil War with Marvin T. Jones. The Civil War is sometimes called the Second Haitian Revolution. For over 70 years, pro-slavers feared Haiti, and the enslaved and abolitionists found great hope from Toussaint L'Overture and Haiti. Marvin T. Jones details the actions of enslaved and abolitionists who were encouraged by the Haitian Revolution, Haiti's own involvement in offering freedom to people of color, and why Haiti was so important to keeping alive the hope that all Americans would be free. Many African Americans today are descended from all who saw Haiti as a guiding light. Marvin T. Jones, a documentary photographer and filmmaker, is the executive director of the Chawan Discovery Group, a research, documentation, preservation, and presentation organization. Among the many accomplishments are five documentaries, 
seven North Carolina highway historical markers, the funding of community organizations, a stage presentation, several articles, hosted conference panels, lectures, and an award from the North Carolina Society of Historians. Early in Marvin's career, he documented Haitian forts for UNESCO. So let me give a warm welcome back to Marvin T. Jones, to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Marvin. Good Good evening, Bernice and Patricia, and to the audience. Thank you for having me here. Well, Marvin, I am happy to have you, and I want to start at your beginning. So tell us about the beginnings of your interest in Haiti. It probably started when my brother brought home a Haitian classmate one Thanksgiving. They were both at Howard University. It was 1967, and, and I found his classmate pretty interesting. And I used to read articles about Haiti and Time Magazine and, and, and other publications that were available when I was growing up in rural North Carolina. About a year or two later, I came across the book called Papa Doc, and I read it, and I was really fascinated. That here was a, here was, the first time I was reading about a black country, and this is a country where people spoke French, and some of them had studied in Paris, and it was a completely different history than what I I knew. Uh, of black people at uh, at the time, um, and later I worked with Haitians at a warehouse in Chicago uh, for 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 the summer, and I found them different than other West Indians, and I wondered why. I said it must be their history, and I looked in, looked, I, I returned and to the history and looked into it, and found. You know, very interesting story. I already knew about Toussaint Louverture, but I didn't know enough. A lot of people really don't know much about the Haitian Revolution. They, uh, for example, that it's 12 years old. That it was tw- that it was 12 years old before Haiti finally became independent. <clears throat> and so I started reading the history. <clears throat> excuse me, and saw the photograph of the Citadel, which was is the largest fort. Haitians built after the revolution to defend itself against slavery. It's an immense building. It's 450 feet tall, eight, 8 to 13 stories high, could hold 100 big guns. And I said, how, how, Haiti has a rather chaotic history. How were they able to, and the revolution was chaotic, how did they build something as magnificent as the Citadel Henry? On, on this mountain peak. And my career as a documentary photographer was beginning, and I decided I wanted to document it. I did not see much out there. Um, I, 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 you know, made inquiries at the Haitian Embassy in Washington. I got to meet C.L.R. James, who wrote the magnificent history of the Haitian Revolution called The Black Jacobins. And I visited James a few times. We had we had a, a meal, and then both of us went to the Organization of American States to study recent blueprints made of the Citadel, because there were plans to restore it. And so, and so, being around James, reading his books several times, and 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 going to libraries and 
researching in a way that I was not doing work that I wasn't even doing in college. I said, this is what I'm supposed to do. I had never left the U.S. before. I began studying French. I never really really delved into a language that much before. And I just prepared to go to Haiti. I upped my gear, saved my money, studied the language, libraries, talked to people, um, met African-Americans who had gone there as uh, as tourists. Um, one editor had recommended that I go ahead and do the project. I, I just needed someone to tell me to go and do it. And so in 1977, when I was 26 years old, I took about five large bags with me with cameras and lights and a sleeping bag and other things, a tripod and other things, and went to Haiti. I made arrangements with the Haitian government, and I, I slept in the Citadel for four nights. Um, had rats crawling on me for three of the nights. I learned, uh, Bernice, I learned, do not sleep near your food. <laughs> <laughs> There were there were two rats that kept bothering me, and the fourth night I got it and 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 I put the food in in, in another room and and they left me alone. <laughs> there were only two of them in the entire fort, I think, and, and um, I continued to return to the Citadel to document it because I kept having new ideas. It's so huge. Um, there are other fortifications nearby. Um, there's one. There was one behind. There's one behind uh, behind the citadel on another mountain peak. I'd go to that. I'd I'd go to other forts, and I just kept on. And then finally, UNESCO asked me to document it because at the end of 12 years, restoration work had begun, and they wanted they wanted me to document its current state. And I knew the building very well. Again, it's a it's a large fort, and so to me, it it is the symbol of resistance to slavery. It's a, it is the symbol of the physical symbol of the determination of black people to be free. But to me, it's and the greatest monument there is. Yes, that. and I and I can imagine what it felt like to to go to the various sports and to experience what it was like to be in that place and to just imagine what it was like back then before the revolution took place. So well, there were is all, there a comparison yeah. to you when you think of the forts? Uh, tell us about the forts a little bit more and the the burning of Washington, D.C. during the War of 1812. Well, well, after the revolution ended, Haiti declared itself independent. Dessalines, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, who succeeded Toussaint in leading the revolution, ordered that forts be built on former guerrilla camp sites. Haiti is very mountainous. It's probably the most mountainous country in in the Americas, even more mountainous than the Andean countries. Their mountains are higher, but it doesn't cover as much land as it does in Haiti, you know, per cap per square mile. And so and so now these guerrilla campsites are fortified. There are forty of them. Some of them are made out of earth. Some of them are masonry. And and it made it possible. So the 
you know, no one, no country gave Haiti diplomatic recognition. Every country was looking for its chance to reinvade, reimpose slavery. So Haiti defend, fortified itself. Now, the comparison to 1812, by 1812, Haiti had its forts in place and had the French, who were always plotting to return to Haiti with an armada like they did before, uh, one time before, had they returned, the Haitians would have gone to their forts and 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 they would have been well protected because the French would have been rolling little bitty six-pound cannons, whereas these forts, particularly the Citadel, had huge, long 32-pound cannons that are high up with a greater range, and they're high up, and they're more destructive. On, But when you look at what happened in Washington, the British sailed up the Chesapeake Bay, passed the fort, they, they well, not past the fort, but they dropped off troops, went around behind the fort, came into Washington, burned down the White House, burnt, well, burned the White House, set it on fire, burned the Capitol, um, and, and and Haiti was not going to allow that to happen. They were prepared to keep that from happening. James Madison and Dolly Madison had to flee into Maryland, and 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 they had no backup. And Haiti, Haiti was prepared for that. That's the comparison. That's the comparison. Okay, so let's go back for a minute because we don't talk. And, you know, I started off uh, uh, mentioning the, the revolution, the Haitian Revolution. What can you tell us about the Haitian Revolution? Well, Africans had been running off into the mountains when the Spanish were the first colonizers in on the island, the island of Hispaniola, and Haiti is the western third. And so for generations you had Africans living in the mountains who had never been enslaved because their parents, their ancestors had run off. And, of course, during all that time, there are more Africans who are running off in the mountains and creating their own lives and what have you. And And, and there were occasional revolts. There were occasional revolts, and um, there was one large one around 1757 that was put down, uh, the Mackendal Revolution. But then, in 1789, the French Revolution took place. So now you have the French who are supporting the king. You have one group who's supporting the king and the elite, um, the land elite, Fighting against those who wanted changes, you had you had the French fighting each other, and the French Revolution carried on in Haiti. And so, when you have whites in Haiti fighting each other, that gave the Africans in Haiti. And the reason why I say Africans, most of the people in most of the black people in Haiti were African born, even to the end of the revolution. And so, and so. They saw. They really saw that chance. They 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 burned. They they burned uh, tr- plantations. They killed people. Um, they ran back up into the mountains. They just laid waste to everything. Uh, again, in, in 1791, and you had leaders that emerged like Biasu and Jeanot and uh, Jean Francois, and and there was a coachman. Well, there was a there was a man who had been enslaved who. Um, 20 years earlier, in fact, he had 
become free and got his own plantation, even had his own slaves, and his name was, his name, he gave himself the name of, his name was Toussaint Breda, and he gave himself the name of Toussaint Louverture when he rose up into leadership. So he was the fourth leader. Um, He had been, he had been somewhat educated. He knew animal husbandry. He knew geometry, some geometry. He had a lot of skills. He understood discipline because, after all, he had his own plantation. He was renting it, but he still ran his own plantation. He still had a relationship with his former owner. And so he brought with him a lot of discipline and a vision of what he wanted to see for the freedom of black people in Haiti. Well, so he was the fourth leader, and his troops were more disciplined than the other three. When in France, the French Revolution took power, and they killed the king and Marie Antoinette and so on, um, they eventually abolished slavery. They they abolished it. And the leaders of the revolution, including Toussaint, had allied themselves with the Spanish. So when everything broke out, whites of the French, the French are fighting each other. The Africans are revolting. Um, the British and the Spanish started grabbing parts of Haiti as well. So you have like a freefall, and and the foursome are allied with the Spanish. But when Toussaint saw that the French Revolution has abolished slavery, he turned on everybody and joined the French, and joined the French Revolution and delivered his troops and all. And eventually he beat everybody, defeated everybody, became part of the French Revolution, and became the gov- the, the, general, the, the, the head general of, of, what, of Haiti, which was called Saint-Domingue at the time. That was the name of the colony. And you have Saint-Domingue, the French part. You have Santo Domingo, the Spanish part. And so he's now a general of Saint-Domingue, and eventually he became governor. And eventually he he conquered uh, Santo Domingo, and he has the whole island. It wasn't long before Napoleon, who was rising at that time as well, wanted to do away with the – he has a big ego. He wanted to do away with the French Revolution, and he did – and he decided he wanted to take over Haiti, reestablish, reestablish slavery, and he amassed this huge armada. It was bigger than the Spanish armada, sixty thousand soldiers, all these ships. And he also wanted to fortify the Louisiana territory, which he had lost during the revolution and had, re- and had regained. When he when he when he conquered Spain, because Spain had taken the Louisiana uh, area and New Orleans, but it wasn't fortified. He had it by treaty, but he didn't have it by might. So he thought he'd send these sixty thousand over to Haiti. They'd be there for a few months, beat all the black folks up, put them back in chains, kill all the leaders, and then go on to New Orleans and fortify it. But that didn't happen. Um, the French. Got to Haiti, but they never left. Only 5,000 left Haiti. Most of them were captured by the British who were waiting offshore for them. They never made it to New Orleans. Napoleon saw early on that he needed to sell it to Thomas Jefferson, or either he was going to lose it to Thomas Jefferson by force. And so, 
And so that's how the U.S. got about one-third, the continental U.S. got about one-third of its territory due to the Haitian Revolution. How about that? And I don't know how many people even realize that. Well, that's how important the Haitian Revolution is. Louisiana, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, you know, on up, Montana. Well, there was a question coming out of the chat room about how was Tucson educated. And uh, there was a, a response in the chat room stating that he was taught by his godfather and Jesuit missionaries when he was young. Do you that's have correct. any other information about that? Well, that's correct. That's that's who taught him. Um, um, he was seen. He was seen as bright and energetic and 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 thoughtful, and so and so he received education. Um, and and he knew how to ma- he knew how to manage his affairs, and he knew how to manage his work. Um, uh, he. It, it, you know, if you read C.L.R. James's book, you realize how brilliant he was. Uh, this man even negotiated, tr- had secret negotiations with the U.S. while he was, while he was governor general. And the U.S. definitely wanted to reestablish Haiti, but they saw it to their advantage to negotiate with him. I think he was selling sugar for arms. Mhm, mhm. But then, what happened to him? When the French invaded, eventually some of his soldiers, some of his leaders gave up, and eventually he gave up and negotiated a peace. Um, he was he was thwarted by the French. He he went to a meeting he shouldn't have gone to, and they seized him. They immediately put him and his wife and his sons on a ship, took them to France, and within a few months he died. He died on a, on a in a cold mountaintop prison in France. The prison is still there, and the room is there's a plaque in that prison room where he died. Um, but the French started breaking some of the terms of the peace, and Toussaint's generals began fighting again. Uh, Dessalines, Pétion, Henry Christophe, and and the rest. And you had guerrilla leaders that never gave up. You had guerrilla leaders that never surrendered to the French. Uh, in, fa- in fact, uh, Dessalines and Christophe and, and on were even fighting the guerrillas as terms as part of terms of the French. And, and, and eventually, they had to turn against the French. And so the war was then on until the end. Um, a big factor was yellow fever, but the French always suffered from yellow fever, but this is but this is the fighting that was going on all over. It was ferocious fighting, and all kinds of smart thinking and 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 defeating the, the French. And so and so finally, one battle outside of Cap Acien, which is my favorite town, which is where Toussaint and Christophe were pretty much from in that area, the Battle of Vertier, the French were finally defeated. In November, December of 1803, and it was negotiated that they that they would leave in a certain period of time. But there were British tr- ships waiting offshore for them. So when they got on the ships, 
they were captured by the British and they were put in British prisons. But Haiti, but Haiti became, but the the revolutionaries of Saint Domingue a month later declared the independent state of Haiti on January first, eighteen o four. And of course, Haiti is now over two hundred years old. Dessalines is the first leader. After he dies two years later from an assassination, Henry Christophe and Alexander Pétion, um, they split the out the country in half. And after after Christophe dies, Pétion's successor reunites the country. Um, um, but let's. But this is where we start going into the African American part of the story, right? That's right. Okay. Okay. So take us. Okay. <laughs> take now, us. Take us further now. All right. We we've got the basis of Haiti. During around 1798, when the Haitian Revolution was in full swing, Toussaint was pretty much governor general of the island, and all this news is getting out. You have black watermen. Uh, black seamen who are who are on ships and they're spreading the news about some of everything, including this revolution in Saint Domingue, which becomes Haiti, and it's passed on to coastal watermen and and people on shore that hey, it looks like there's a black country coming up. You know, there, there, there's a big revolution going on, and the power the slave powers are not able to put it out, and it's led by a man named Toussaint Louverture. Well, in Richmond, Virginia, you had a man named Gabriel. He's also called Gabriel Prosser. He planned a, a revolt of his own, but it was thwarted. He was, it, he, you know, he, he was found. The revolt was found out. And when you drive down I-95 through Richmond, we're not talking about the bypass I-95 through Richmond, and you get off at Broad Street. Now, some of you out there may, might have done that going to a conference or whatever, and you turn one direction, you go to the Marriott on Broad Street. But if you go in the other direction, downhill on Broad Street, just the, just over the overpass is a marker for the execution of Gabriel and a Virginia Highway historical marker. And then you go a little bit further, not much further, like 50 feet, and a little bit further down, you'll see another plaque, site of the jail where Gabriel died, or where he was kept before he died. Well, Gabriel was influenced by the Haitian Revolution. And the records state that. And this is before the Revolution had even ended. There were other revolutions like Denmark Vesey in Charleston, South Carolina in 1822. Vesey was a waterman who was also connected to ships, pilots, and watermen. They knew what to do with boats and big ships. And the plan of that thwarted, that thwarted revolt, that revolt was thwarted before it got started. The plan was to take ships and sell them to Haiti. In, in 1822, and you had watermen that could do that all along the Atlantic coast. And finally, another big one was the Nat Turner Rebellion, which so many of us know about. It happened only a county way, away from where I grew up. And that the news of Haiti 
1831, and, and, and that Haiti is now, what, 25 or so years old, all this is going on. It's still going on up, you know, coming up the Atlantic from the Gulf Stream into the waterways of North Carolina and Virginia. It's coming up the Albemarle Sound in North Carolina, the news of Haiti. It's coming up the Chihuahua River, which, which you know, up the Albemarle Sound to the Chihuahua River. My organization is Chihuahua Discovery Group. I was born and grew up four miles from the Chihuahua River. And when the Chihuahua gets up to the Virginia border, it splits into two rivers, the Blackwater and the Nottaway. The Nottaway, that news goes up a little bit further up the Nottaway, and on the Nottaway, not far away, lives a man named Nat Turner in Southampton County, Virginia, near Jerusalem, which is now called Cortland. And so he begins his revolution. And in August 21st, 1831, and a lot of whites are killed, and it just terrifies the whole South. Two militias are sent from my county into across the border to Jerusalem to catch, to stop to stop this revolt. The oldest document in my family, um, I'm the seventh member of the family to possess it, belonged to my great-great-grandfather, Noah Robbins. And the document states that he is certified as a free man of color in Gates County, which also enables my county in Southampton County, and is entitled to all rights of free men of color. And I said, well, this man was a Choanoke Indian. Why did he particularly need this document? And I saw the 1831. I said, okay, I know what 1831 means. And so I looked at the date, and it's four days after the rebellion. Noah Robbins needed that document to prove that he belonged where he did and he and he was a free person. And uh, he was born in 1800, and his great-great, grandson has a document and it's about six feet from where I'm sitting right now and that was spurred on by the news of Haiti I believe to Nat Turner to that document being created in that time there was a big backlash on 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 people of color from the Nat Turner rebellion but it was a chance you had to take the chance you couldn't endure slavery anymore um, so that's where maybe Haiti had an indirect That's one way Haiti may have had an indirect effect on my family. Um, looking at the waterways. But then there were other things going on. There were a lot of African Americans like Prince Hall and Absalom Jones and others. Uh, Paul Cuffey, the, 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 the ship owner and, 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 and ship's cap, captain, um, did at least one trip from Philadelphia to Haiti or, or New York, wherever Paul Cuffey was operating, maybe Boston, um, to Haiti. To Haiti, um, There were organizations that were calling for immigration to Haiti. And then um, Henry Christophe, about a few months before he died, he had a stroke. Revolution broke out, and he was taken up to the Citadel, 
I mean, he committed suicide, and Mrs. Kristoff took him, had him taken up to the Citadel, where his remains are still there. And I've slept a few hundred, uh, I've slept within 50 feet of his remains, and walked past them many times. Henry Kristoff received a proposal in 1820 to bring in African Americans from the United States. Christoph had nothing to do with France. He wouldn't entertain anything with France because they wouldn't even call him uh, President Christoph. They wouldn't call his town Cap Haitian, what used to be called Cap Francais. They wouldn't even address the nation as Haiti. They still called it Saint-Domingue. So he wouldn't have anything to do with them. But Christoph was entertaining this idea of bringing it. He wanted he wanted the language to change to English. He wanted trained, skilled people, and he was interested in this idea of skilled people of color, free people, English speaking, coming into Haiti and making cultural changes. Um, this was a man who built schools, he built roads, he built a navy, a treasury. Uh, he 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 made the citadel as large as it, large as it is because that was his district. He was the real builder of the citadel. The orders were to build forts. He made the citadel as large as it is. And so the first black medical training was established under Henry Kristoff. It wasn't much, but it was a start. It was years before black medical training resumed. I guess with the founding of Howard University in 1868. And so, and, and perhaps Meharry College, and so, and so, Dessaline so was, was interested in African American immigration as well. Yes, Bernice. Hello. Okay, so Marvin. With that information, we're going to take a quick break and come right back and continue this discussion, okay? That's fine. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of history and genealogy. 
All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you have been listening to Marvin T. Jones discuss the Civil War and Haiti. Now, Marvin, we have a special guest on the phone right now. Okay. And before you come back on, I'm going to bring on Mr. Daniel Philiming. He is the chairman of the Haitian American Historical Society. Welcome, Mr. Philiming. Good evening. You're live. Yes. Uh, Good my evening. My name is Daniel Fizeme. I'm the chairman of the Haitian American Historical Society in Miami, Florida. Welcome uh, to uh, uh, to hear from us from this from the from the society, and uh, we would like to say a few words. Uh, you are open for questions, and uh, go ahead. Well, yes. Well, I would like you to share with everyone is the mission of the Haitian American Historical Society. Yes. Our mission is to let people know about Haitians. We Haitians, we did a lot of things in the world, but people don't even know about, and uh, we like to, that's the, that's the, what the society is about to to portray that the Haitians is uh, is a nation. Haitians did uh, a lot. Haitians participated in many wars. Haitians helped America to become independent. As a matter of fact, uh, this uh, week, next week, uh, the, the October the ninth, uh, we're going to celebrate the tenth anniversary of uh, the Haitian monument that we built in Savannah, Georgia, to commemorate the participation of our ancestors who came to Savannah, Georgia on October 9, 1779, and participated in, in the battle for American independence against the British. That sounds like an exciting opportunity for individuals to attend the festival. And so they can find out more about this festival from your website? Uh, not even for the festival, but the, the whole event, because it's going to be a three-day event where we're going, on a, we're going to have a parade. We're going to have uh, another officials from Haiti in other parts of the world. We have uh, a group of uh, Haitian mayors that are coming from many cities in Haiti coming to participate. And we also have the general public, and also we like to say thanks to the Savannah officials that helped us to have our dream come true because it wasn't easy to have a Haitian monument in Franklin Square in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, that's what we're very grateful to everybody and to, that's a prayer to show people that we Haitians, we don't come from the boat like people say, but we shed our blood for this country 
in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, we, sh- we are proud of that. And we let people know that we have a lot to offer and we, we don't receive that much. But this is a, if you go to Savannah or if you go also go on our website, which is Haitian History that org you Asian history that org you can see is a lot from the from the organization and uh, is many 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 more things we want to do and people should we uh, a lot of people appreciate that we Haitian did and uh, we open to for any any sponsorship any Anything people can do so to help us to make sure that that celebration coming, and also we have uh, for that celebration we want to have uh, say roots bands from Haiti, uh, from the Caribbean, from Jamaica, and we also have some lectures from the universities in uh, in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, we go and do a blast pass for the last three days, so you can go on our website and get more information in, in there. And also you can um, call us at 786-412-1014, 786-412-1014. And our email address is HaitianHistory at BellSouth.net. You get more information about uh, the event that's going to happen on October the 28th, 27th, 28th, 29th. We usually celebrate that event on the, on uh, October 9th, but unfortunately, because of the hurricane came now a few weeks ago, we had to postpone it for the October 27th. 28, 29, and go our website and to find out, and we appreciate anyone that can come to come to Savannah and celebrate with us to show the world our appreciation for the, what the Haitians did for the world. It's not even for Savannah only. The Haitians did a lot for Venezuela, in Central America, for Many other places, but uh, next time I will give you more details on that. But uh, we do appreciate that you open, you know, the waves for us to let to invite people to come to Savannah and come celebrate with us and know more about the Haitian history. Well, thank you very much for coming on and sharing this information with us. Because I've seen what the monument looks like, and it is beautiful. And I don't even know if a lot of people even realize that there's a a monument in Savannah which depicts the role that the Haitians played in our Revolutionary War. And so thank you so much for sharing that information with us. And we'll go back to Marvin. Thank you so much. Okay, thank, thank you for the opportunity, and good night, and keep up good with night. the work. Okay. okay, thank you very much. Okay, Marvin. Yes. 
You're on. <laughs> yes. May okay, I build so on, Marvin. May, may I build on what uh, Mr. F- uh, Fields of May uh, said about the monument? When you go to yes. Savannah to the first African Baptist church, it's at the end of Market Street. Um, it's one of the oldest African-American churches in America. It claims to be derived from the first first black Baptist congregation in America. You will see the memorial to to the to the Africans who fought who fought for America in 1779, and 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 Mr. Field and May's organization funded and did everything to get that monument placed there. And I recommend everybody to see that monument. Um, there's a drummer boy. There are six people um, shown. There's or well, five people shown, and there's a drummer boy. And the drummer boy it was depicts Henry Kristoff, who was only 12 years old, and he was part of he was part of the invasion force, and that was fighting for American freedom. There was another um, um, Chavon who who later died in Haiti. Uh, Planet. Well, he he died because he started a revolt before the Haitian before the Haitian Revolution really took place a year, year earlier, and he was at Savannah as well. So Haiti's done a lot. Haiti uh, supported the uh, Greek independence in 1821. These the freedom struggles of of um, Simon Bolivar and Miranda in Mexico, and so he's right. Haiti's done a lot for. For, for freedom in North America and in Europe. So, Marvin, let's talk a bit about the armies of Haiti and how would you compare the armies of Haiti to the United States colored troops? Well, the arm, Haitians had to learn some modern battle technique, techniques. They, were, they had to learn how to use rifles, many, many, and artillery. They had to learn that they could not fight European armies the way European armies fought each other. They needed to stick with guerrilla tactics, and that worked best. They needed to have discipline, and of course, they had black leaders. Uh, you had you had you had leaders who later became French generals like Toussaint Dessalines, uh, Henry Christophe, and so on. But you also had guerrilla leaders who. Who answered to no one but themselves, and they never negotiated with the French. They always fought the French. And then, when you had, of course, U.S. colored troops, all of all of our troops had white commanders. Uh, we might have sergeants of color, and there, there are at least two or three USCT sergeants in in my family. And and but beyond that. There weren't there weren't that many you know commissioned officers that were that were of color in in the in the United States colored troops. Um, however, the numbers were a lot bigger, uh, two hundred thousand uh, members of U.S. colored troops, and of course we had men in the Navy all along. So that's one comparison. Um, mm-hmm. um, one company in the famous 54th Massachusetts. Uh, that's shown in the movie Glory, the, um, Company C, I believe, um, nicknamed themselves the Toussaint Guards. What Toussaint Louverture meant to African Americans 
was the kind of same same kind of feel that Jack Johnson, Muhammad Ali, and Jackie Robinson and Joe Lewis meant to African Americans. He was he was on a bigger scale. He was bigger than those men because he was a warrior. He was a diplomat. He was a administrator. He was a true groundbreaker. But what he meant to African Americans was the same as what we we recall of uh, of Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, and Joe Lewis. And so uh, a, a real hero, a real African a real African hero. Um, and his and his successors, uh, Dessaline, uh, Boyer, and Christophe, they all were interested in African American immigration. And and Jean Pierre Boyer, in in the 1820s, did indeed with his with his uh, colleague Jonathan Granville. Um, brought African Americans to Haiti, and one of them was W. B. Du Bois' grandfather, Alexander Du Bois, and mm-hmm. Du Bois's father might have been born in Haiti, but we don't know much. But Du Bois didn't know much about his father, and, and neither do we. But he, but Du Bois did know his, Alexander Du Bois, who returned to, who left Haiti, and returned. As when he was about sixty years old, as a consultant for another wave of African American immigrants to Haiti, so there was always this back and forth. There were there were Haitians who called for African American abolition. There were there were there were African Americans who were supporting diplomatic recognition for Haiti. You had abolitionists, white abolitionists, who were doing the same. You had one journalist who even in Europe went to interview Henry Christoph's widow when she was living there in exile in, in, in Pisa, Italy. You had a lot of African-Americans who were interested in what was going on in Haiti, and you had a lot of Haitians that were interested in the struggle in the United States. Um, so when you, when you say that the Civil War is sometimes called the Second Haitian Revolution, tell us why you're saying that. The South, all slaveholding powers looked at Haiti with horror. Even during the Saint-Domingue Haitian Revolution, they looked at it with horror. They looked at any kind of independence. I mean, these were people that didn't want anybody to learn how to read, let alone be free. And so, and so, the the, the South was was. The, White Southern leadership was, was was most taken back by the Haitian Revolution, and then when it became free, it was even worse for them. And they they said, "We do not want a Haitian Revolution in the United States." Mm-hmm. I mean, and and at the same time, you had black people and and abolitionists who were saying, "We want a Haitian Revolution in the United States," and so. And so that's why the Civil War is looked at as the Second Revolution because both both movements were were defeated slavery. Slavery was abolished in both of them, and and people knew that the Civil War, even before it started and even before it ended, it would result in the abolition of slavery, and just like it was in Haiti, and so and so. All along, you had these references that Southerners and abolitionists would make to Haiti on one side or the other. Um, 
Um, you had one South Carolina senator who said, our policy with Haiti is plain. We can never acknowledge its independence. Well, ironically, that the Union would never acknowledge South Carolina's independence when it, when, when it broke away. <laughs> Consider the irony of that. Slaveholder interests were always calling for invasions of Haiti. The administration of Franklin Pierce plotted to invade Haiti in order to add it as a slave state. Um, the South was always trying to add states so it could have a, an advantage in Congress. Uh, you had so there'd be more slave senators and more slave representatives, and so they wanted. That's why they added Texas. Texas, you know, you you go to the Alamo and people say, "Oh, it's a symbol of Texas freedom." No, it's not. Well, yeah, maybe Texas freedom, but it's a not not a symbol of freedom because Texas was a Mexican-held free territory. The Mexicans abolished slavery. The founders of the what is now Texas State, they brought slavery back into Texas. That was why they moved there, was to expand slavery and add senators and add, add congressmen and add more power for, the, for slaveholding interest. And so invading Haiti would be would could be another state. Uh, Southerners were also plotting to conquer other countries. In fact, one one Southern became president of Nicaragua briefly, with that in mind. He he was overthrown. He returned to South America. He returned to uh, Central America, and the British caught him, turned him over to the Hondurans, and they put him up against the wall, and that was again that was the end of that. But this is just a few years for the for the. Um, Civil War broke out. There, there was, there was, there, there was, the South was planning to introduce slavery in, and and take over territories in the Caribbean basin, and Haiti was one of those places. And so, and so, um, I want to move on to Frederick Douglass, and one thing that warmed me. Henry Christophe had an abolitionist friend named Thomas Clarkson. Thomas Clarkson and Wilbur Wilberforce, Wilberforce University is named after him, um, befriended, advised Christophe about what to do for Haiti and where to, where to move to, to, to bring in more education, to do this with agriculture, to do this with trade, to... Uh, Clarkson even showed one of Christoph's letters to the Tsar of Russia, hoping to carry favor with you know as many leaders in Europe as possible about what Christoph was doing. And there is even a book of Henry Christoph and Thomas Clarkson's correspondence. I bought it many years ago. I still cherish it. And 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 Christoph died in 1820, and 23 years later. Um, a month before Clarkson dies, he's visited by William Lord Garrison and Frederick Douglass. And when I when I came across that, I was just so pleased that Frederick Douglass got to meet Henry Christoph's friend, Thomas Clarkson, who who hosted Madame Christoph and, 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 and their daughters for a few months after she left Haiti for good. In 18, uh, you know, after Christoph died, and so you had these ties that ties that 
I got to bring out in the talk the other night that you attended. One of Christoph's advisors was an African American named Prince Saunders, who was educated in 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 Dartmouth and had had gone to England, had met Wilberforce and Clarkson, moved to Haiti as a teacher, and he was an advisor. It was him who pitched the ideas of African Americans moving to Haiti, and he continued to support that long after Christoph died. Um, um, there were just so many interactions between African Americans and Haiti. Um, you had you had Haitians Haitians advising in an, in an American newspaper. We believe that the means to abolish slavery is to oppose force with force the legitimate war being that which man undertakes for the conquest of his rights. So Haitians were telling Americans, "You got to fight for your freedom." That's what we had to do, and 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 that indeed is what happened. Um, um, John and Brown. You know, yes. Yes. With that happening, I mean, you are sharing with us history and information that perhaps we have not gotten in schools, and people have not spoken of it yet. It seems like we've we've always been working together. I mean, it helped us. It helped give us that uh, influence, if you will, to fight for our freedom. So tell us what books have helped you in your research, and what books do you recommend to the audience so that they can learn more about Haiti and the I'll revolution? Give you, I'll, I'll give you three. The first is C.L.R. James's book, the Black Jacobins, and I had already I had already uh, referred to that book, and 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 bless your heart today you found that it's online in PDF form and people can download. That's right. It. That's, That's right. wonderful. That's wonderful. Also, there's a book called Toussaint Louverture and the American Civil War by Matthew J. Clavin. And that helped fill out a lot of what I'm talking about today, this particular book. And a uh, fellow I know who's a professor at Georgetown, Maurice Jackson, I've known Maurice about 35 years, he and Jacqueline Bacon um, put together a collection of essays and historical documents called, and this book is called, African Americans and the Haitian Revolution. And so those are the three books I recommend on this on this subject. Um, and you can read about other people. I mean, Frederick Douglass, let's see, Frederick Douglass became a minister to Haiti in, in 1889, um, 25 years after Haiti became independent. Um, you had you had soldiers who in the in the Civil War who styled themselves and named their children after Toussaint Louverture like Martin Delaney did for one of his sons. You had John Brown, who hoped that his raid would spur the second Haitian Revolution. You know, after John Brown's death in 1859, Haiti held three days of mourning. They had a national memorial service in the National Cathedral, which I used to walk by in Port-au-Prince. They had programs of honor in several towns, and Haitians raised large amounts of money for the Brown family. And if you go into Port-au-Prince today, you'll see an Avenue John Brown that's been there ever since that time. Right. And one of the things, you know, that 
we need to recognize is that we have a very large Haitian population in the United States. I mean, New York has one of the largest, but then we also have a large population in Florida and other other states. And so when we're talking about history, we also need to think about, well, genealogy and records. And so I've been trying to find out where can we find additional records, especially those that may be of Haitian descent. And so I did look at the um, family search to find out, well, did family search have any records? And for those of you who are searching, they do have Haiti Port-au-Prince civil registration from 1794 to 2012. And this civil registration includes records of births, marriages, and deaths from the city only of Port-au-Prince for the Republican calendar of 1792 to 1806. Now, also, you can check uh, U.S. passport information and U.S. naturalization records on Ancestry. There may be more, and I would recommend that you all follow up with the HaitianHistory.org organization for additional resources. Now, Marvin, I just want to ask you one more question before we close out tonight. What type of research in your community has uncovered indirect ties to <coughs> Haiti? Um, the main thing the main thing is there was an African American named Abraham Galloway who escaped from the Wilmington area. Um in the late 1850s, he went up to Canada. He was a waterman, and he went up to Canada, and he he got in with with the Underground Railroad. He also learned some spy craft. Apparently, I learned this from Harry Jones, of the, who's a former curator of the African American Civil War Museum, and he was part of what you could call John Brown too. After John Brown, while John Brown was 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 being uh tried, uh, his backers and including John Brown's son, John Brown Jr., were plotting to launch another raid from Haiti. And and Abraham Galloway was part of that. Well, Galloway the, the the plot never took place because the Civil War took out and that preempted it. But Galloway went on a spy trip to prepare, to help the Union Navy invade North Carolina, which they did in in, in late 1861. They came to my community in, in 1862, and whenever Union guns showed up, that was your Emancipation Day proclamation or no proclamation. <laughs> and so and so that's that's de facto. Emancipation. You could you could go away with those guns and you were free, and so and so Galloway uh, was spying in North Carolina, preparing for that invasion, and in his reports he makes mention of one of my relatives who apparently was doing something, um, who was apparently doing something in preparation for this invasion, because when when this relative Parker Robbins. And his brother uh, enlisted in February and December of well 
January 1st, 1864, 60 years after the Haitian Revolution, after Haiti was declared, exactly 60 years later, January 1st, eight days later, both men are made sergeants. And Harry Jones said they were pre-preparing for that. They had had previous training, and that's why they became sergeants in eight days. And and Abraham Galloway, who was an agent in Haiti, a North Carolinian who was an agent in Haiti, was was uh, had had reported on what some members of my family were doing. That's so that's your right. connection. That's, so that, now I that, understand. That's yes, that's your. I understand that you're heading to Haiti in December. So what are you going to do there? Well, I'm long overdue to return. When I used to go, I was I was I was single, and then I became I I, I married. I became a homeowner. I became a father. I was an employer, and I pretty much finished everything I I I felt I could do in Haiti. But I but I found new reasons. The the principal, the founding principal of my high school, Dr. C. S. Brown, founded a mission in Haiti. 90 years ago, and it's still running. And I want to go back and document that mission. I want to go back to the cit- my beloved Citadel. I have a friend there, I, um, an American friend there. there everything's in, in, the, in my favorite town of Cap Haitian. And I'm going with a group called Rebuilding Haiti, one trip at a time. Uh, it's the first time I've ever traveled with a group. And... But it's a good group. We have we we have uh, happy hours every month, and and I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to this five day trip. Usually I would stay a month and get sick, but I think five days will allow me to get in and get out without getting sick. <laughs> well, I hope that you have a wonderful time and come back and bring us even more information. So, do Great. you have any parting words before we close out tonight? Yes, I'd like for people to study the Haitian Revolution, to read James's book, to learn in depth what it took for for African people to be free and all kinds of ways that that were needed. Uh, People think maybe the the Haitian Revolution might have been an overnight thing. It was a 12-year struggle. It it involved defeating the British, the Spanish, the uh, various French administrations or French directions it involved it involved maintaining that independence by putting up these difficultly built forts uh, we focus on the forts in Africa but we but we don't give enough attention to the forts that were built to keep black people free and just because you have freedom today doesn't mean you'll always have it you can always lose it and, and never forget that uh, there are forces that would love to re-enslave uh, African Americans, and so and so I see them all the time. And so it, it's a matter of it's important to keep your own freedom, but also make it strong enough to where they can't even voice that opinion. Well, Marvin, thank you so much for your closing remarks. And also for sharing information on Haitian history, the revolution, and the second revolution. And everyone else, I want to just thank everyone for for tuning in tonight. And Marvin, your thoughts have helped.
to clarify some information about Haiti and the Civil War. So please remember, everyone, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. Also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander, with co-host Patricia Glover Howard, and I look forward to you joining me next week. Good night, everyone. Good night, Marvin. Good night, and thank you. You're welcome. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.